This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Scott Vanderwell, Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Scott Vanderwall next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 300 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. 2019 will be remembered as a year of challenge for American agriculture. Weather, markets, trade, and regulatory reform are just a few issues farmers and ranchers faced and still do into the new year. American Farm Bureau Federation Vice President Scott Vanderwall says few producers escaped adversity last year. A lot of times these kinds of things where you have wet areas are, are localized areas and people feel like they're kind of alone. But this year almost all everybody we talked to had too much water at one point and another, uh, sometimes too much all summer long. Some had little uh, dry spots in between. Uh, but everybody had a tough year, and it has uh, put some stress on the economic health of American agriculture, um, all the way from not getting uh, very many crops planted at all in, in North and South Dakota in this region, um, to uh, uh, having crops in the ground and, and not being able to harvest them, or the uh, quality or quantity of the crop uh, that was out there was very poor. I know up in North Dakota, uh, they've got thousands of acres of corn in the field yet. It's about 35% moisture, very low test weight. Nobody will take it, so those are ongoing concerns for them as well. And there's snow on the ground that is inhibiting the harvest. That's right. Uh, we've had a lot of snow, and, and once you get that out there, it has to at least melt off of the plants before you can run a combine through there. They've also got the, the issues that I talked about where nobody will take it. They don't have a market for it literally up there because of the condition of the grain. Scott, we've seen in this period of time farmers a lot more reliant and dependent on crop insurance, dependent upon those MFP payments that have come down. The question is, has there been enough support, and are we financially stable enough to approach this new season? Yeah, that's a great question, and, and our answer to that would be we believe it is. We've all worked on the Farm Bill a tremendous amount the last uh, several cycles and and really got that to the point where it's, it's there – uh, to respond um, basically um, after the fact to uh, changes in conditions and prices and all those things. The, the thing it wasn't designed to respond to in real time was acute disruptions in trade and the impact that that's had on the markets. But the Trump administration has been uh, very responsive to American agriculture with the MFP that you mentioned and making sure that the, some of those things like the, the China disputes that ended up uh, hurting us financially but were not our fault, uh, they at least in part made up for it. So we think that the federal government has done an excellent job of responding to what our needs are. You know, we, we appreciate that. It, it's not something that the, the president would have had to have done. Uh, obviously, the, the MFP wasn't our first solution to the trade dispute problems. 
but I'll, I'll guarantee you it helped keep some people in business, whether it's young farmers that aren't necessarily very well capitalized or older farmers that were just thinking about getting out because they're tired of seeing their equity erode. Scott, whether it is trade or whether it's renewable fuel or whether it's regulatory issues, clearly rural America had a role in the last presidential election. Do you think that agriculture issues are going to surface in 2020 for the race for the White House? And, and Scott, is that a good thing or is that a challenge for you? Well, I think it's a good thing. And any candidate will ignore agriculture at their own peril, I believe, because we know what, what effect that rural America had on the last election. And there's a lot of issues out there, and, and we need to help people remember that agriculture and the economic health of American agriculture really is a national security issue. We need to be able to retain the ability to feed ourselves, and that's what that's all about. And, and maintaining the health of our, our food system is paramount. So the American Farm Bureau and the National Farmers Union are working together in an area I know that that maybe doesn't gather the headlines of uh, the Washington newspapers or of Leeds other, but there's stress in the country, and and you've been concerned about that. I've spoken to it and are working on the areas. Can you expand on that? Yes, that's an issue we've worked real hard. And, yes, you're right. We've worked with National Farmers Union Farm Credit. It doesn't get a lot of press, but it is a big deal, and we can work with the other farm groups like that to, one that uh, we often find ourselves at odds with as far as ag policy goes, but we're all concerned about the mental health and, and emotional health in, in rural America. W- one thing we're doing with our staff is, is offering a training session to help them recognize the symptoms that people might have, whether they're uh, changes in behavior, if they're withdrawing from society, helping our staff people that work with farmers and ranchers to recognize those things, and then they in turn can refer those people to get them some help. So that's a really big one, and and we're very concerned about the overall mental health in our country. And then that takes us to issues like broadband, where if we have access to broadband uh, very solid in in areas, in all these rural areas, then they'll have access to things like telehealth services. When you're in a very remote area, sometimes these services aren't available in a brick-and-mortar setting, but if they can get online and, and access those, that's a big deal as well. Scott, let's move to some issues, and obviously none bigger than trade. The president says the China deal is getting done, and in fact there is suggested to be a signing ceremony the 15th of January. Uh, We don't know a lot about the details of that, but from the Farm Bureau perspective, how do you receive this news? Well, we think it's good. It's, It's a big step in the right direction. You know, we've been hearing for about two and a half years now that there's been progress with China. But this last one now, from what we're hearing, there, there's more substance to it. We believe it's more solid, and we're certainly uh, behind the president all the way. If he signs that agreement, beginning agreement on January 15, that's a huge lift for agriculture uh, psychologically, uh, for the markets as well. It certainly means we're not to the end of the road, but it's a step in the right direction. You know what they tell us is potentially up to $40 billion annually, uh, up from currently about 10 that's huge for American agriculture and there's not many details on it we don't know what specific commodities would be involved but that's enough to really go around to a a big array of uh, ag products it's still up in the air at the time of our conversation about how impeachment will proceed to the Senate but there are some suggesting that if there is a delay that might be the the golden opportunity to see the USMCA trade deal 
approved by the upper chamber and then finally be put into place. Can that come soon enough? Really, our our attitude on that is uh, let's get USMCA passed just as soon as we possibly can. And You know, if the Senate will move it ahead of, of the impeachment thing, that's great with us. We would love to see that finalized because that'll be a huge win for us. Psychologically, again, the market attitude would really improve, I think, on that. It'll give us credibility also to, to go to the other countries that were involved in the Trans-Pacific Partnership, um, the Pacific Rim countries, and, and the credibility it'll give us will be very valuable, and, and we'll also have certainty with the fact that USMCA is passed and, and finished up, and then we can go on to other things. Scott, this is not a perfect deal, and for some uh, of uh, the agriculture industry in the U.S. challenged by it, is it the best we can do and best overall? Yeah, you never reach perfection with things like this, and especially with an organization like Farm Bureau, where we represent every commodity raised in agriculture. Ultimately, we never get everything we want, so we have to sit back and look at the overall agreement and say, is this a positive on net? Do the positives outweigh the negatives? And that's how we have to look at things, and we truly believe that the USMCA positives do outweigh the negatives. They preserve the, th- the gains that we made with the old NAFTA agreement, they updated it for technology and got us some improved access. So from the high level, we believe it's a good thing. Scott, there have been few issues that drew as many headlines as did renewable fuel and the EPA's implementation of the RFS. The White House has been involved here, and a lot in the ethanol industry and certainly in agriculture are not pleased with the EPA's plan for fulfilling the reallocation of those gallons that have been lost because of small refinery exemptions. Where does Farm Bureau stand on that issue now, and is this a done deal? Well, we have some heartburn with the erosion in demand under the RFS with the continued small refinery waivers. We really believe that future exemptions really ought to be based on actual rather than government-projected exemptions. And the bottom line is we encourage the EPA and the Trump administration to get back to what the RFS was originally intended to be and make sure that those gallon levels are met. A labor bill has moved through the lower chamber in the House, and there's question if it will find traction in the Senate. Can the Lofgren bill that was approved be amended to find Farm Bureau support, or is this another attempt that falls short of what you see as the mark? Well, right now it does fall short, but we're certainly interested in working with the principals on the bill and the other groups involved to try to improve that. And yes, they could get together uh, to the point where the bill would meet our policy to where we would support it. There's really four main points that need to be met to, to get our support. We need to ensure a fair and competitive wage rate. Uh, We need to set limitations on the use of federal courts to solve workplace grievances. We need to provide all of agriculture with access to the program without limitation. That means year-round workers and not just seasonal workers. And then ensure that E-Verify is not implemented before a workable guest worker program is in place. These are huge issues to us because unemployment is very, very low in, in America right now. It's very difficult to source workers. And then we've got things like the adverse wage rate effect that's mandating that uh, certain wage rates be paid. And we're competing against uh, uh, people in other countries that make far, far less than that. And it puts our producers at a terrible economic disadvantage. So if this issue isn't corrected in 2020 and it lingers for 2021 or 2022, does agriculture suffer while we wait for a comprehensive labor bill or an ag worker bill? I believe agriculture does suffer under that case, and and that's why we're working so hard to try to improve it. 
We've been working and waiting for 25 years to get some changes made, and, and finally in the last couple of Congresses we've had a shot at it. Right now we don't feel the bill is good enough, and, and in fact there's some problems with it that we'd have to live with for a long time. But the, the, the answer to the question is yes, this, this is a huge issue for agriculture, probably right up there in the number one or two spot, and we need to get it fixed. Scott, there's another issue that has been in the headlines for some time, and Farm Bureau coined the phrase, ditch the rule, so many years ago. I think we're proving that it's easier to implement a regulation than it is to withdraw a regulation. And recently, the Farm Bureau, along with some other ag groups, becoming involved to intervene in a case in South Carolina with regard to a challenge with the Environmental Protection Agency and Corps of Engineers withdrawing the WOTUS rule. What's your play here? What should be said with regard to agriculture? Well, first of all, we want to point out that Farmers and ranchers in America are vitally interested in making sure that our water supply is kept clean and that we take care of it because that's how we make our living. And it's not about opposing regulations. We need certain regulations to make sure that people follow the rules. But when you talk about excessive regulation, which is what the waters of the U.S. from 2015 would have been, that's totally unnecessary. It would have put just about all of the land in the country under federal jurisdiction and it was just federal over-regulation. It took the, the rights of states away to deal with their own water problems. So we're very interested in making sure that the EPA is successful in withdrawing that 2015 rule and replacing it with what will be a lot more common-sense rule. Uh, you're right about the fact that it takes a lot more to work to withdraw something than to put it in place, and that could work for us once we get this more common-sense rule put into place, and hopefully that will stay then. One of the phrases is, when there's a tough debate, you're either at the table or on the menu. Climate change is a rising issue. What's agriculture's play with regard to the challenge of the changing climate and the desire to sequester carbon and and lessen the carbon footprint? The message that we want to get to people on that is that we are already doing a tremendous amount of things that it takes to mitigate climate change. We won't get into the debate about whether it's human-caused and all the things that are being done and whether we can do anything about it. But what we need to point out is that greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture make up just 9% of the nation's emissions by economic sector, and that's much less than the 57% from vehicles and electric power generation. And cows get unfairly blamed for greenhouse gases. Uh, They've been responsible for less than 3% in the last 30 years. So we need to help people understand that agriculture is the solution. We're sequestering that carbon. We're doing things that take the pollutants out of the air, and we can really make a difference in this going forward. Scott, the food labeling issue is one that continues to work its way to the surface, and plenty of question now about what words can be used to define milk or what word can be used to define beef and whether plant-based products can carry those particular names. Does Farm Bureau have a position on the the food labeling issue with regard to plant-based alternatives to either milk or beef or meat? Yeah, the first thing we need to point out is that even with these plant-based alternatives to meat, they're using agricultural products, whether it's soybean products or whatever it might be. So we don't want to disparage that. The biggest thing that we want to make sure is that consumers are informed about what their choices are. Things need to be labeled accurately. 
We should not call something that's not beef anything that has anything to do with beef. When you look at some of the plant-based alternatives now, the the burgers, so to speak, that some of the retailers and and fast food restaurants are, are advertising, at least they are being honest about it that it's not a beef product. It's technology. There's also other things coming besides the plant-based. It'd be the lab-type products. That's a whole different ballgame again. But there again, we, we just need to make sure that those are labeled correctly and that companies are being honest about what they're producing and offering to consumers and that consumers know exactly what they're getting. Sometimes in agriculture, you come up with states' laws or states' regulations versus the nation. In California, they wanted to set standards and are setting standards with regard to how livestock would be produced, but they also want to take those standards and set them for states that would sell meat inside their borders. Uh, how, does Farm Bureau have a policy on that? Well, we're very uncomfortable with what's going on out there, and, and it's not the, the fault of agriculture or anybody in California. They passed this law, Prop 12, uh, and it was sold as, as better for food safety and for animal health. The reality is when it comes out and realize what people have to do to comply with the law, it really doesn't have anything to do with food safety or animal health. It's about governing practices in other areas. It's about changing production standards based on emotion, not based on proven methods. Even the American Veterinary Association has said that a lot of these things are are not based on proven methods and there's not real production reasons behind them. They're trying to govern production issues based on emotion, and, and that's not the the way it should be done. Well, here we are in 2020 and looking ahead to a new year, and there's a big celebration coming together in Austin, Texas, the 101st Annual Convention and Trade Show of the American Farm Bureau. Scott, what's on the agenda, and uh, what sort of attendance do you expect this year in Texas? Well, we're going to have a great time. We're very much looking forward to our Centennial Convention I'm not sure how many people we've got signed up yet because they'll be trickling in more, uh, but we've got a lot of things to offer. We expect that, that our uh, special guest at least will be the Secretary of Agriculture, and a lot of people know that he, he's been there the last couple of years, but President Trump has been there too, and so the Secretary doesn't really get to be the headliner. So he'll be there again, and we hope to have a very uh, a good spot for him on the program. We've also got some other things going on, like our Ag Innovation Challenge, and basically, it's like a little shark tank for rural and ag-based businesses. And this will be the sixth year that we've done that. And it really is a chance to highlight the innovation and the incredible ideas that come out of ag producers' minds. If you get on the website, you can look at the 10 semifinalists. It's just fascinating to look at the ideas that people have. And a lot of those get turned into businesses, and people end up with sideline enterprises in addition to their farming enterprises. One of the things that I enjoy the most about your convention is the enthusiasm of the young farmers and ranchers. Despite the challenges, those men and women are on fire for an industry, and it just it just warms your heart to see their fortitude for continuing this tradition of ag. That's exactly right. It's a it's a youthful exuberance is what I like to call it. And I remember when I was that age, too, we were just excited about everything that agriculture and the industry had to offer to us. And we still see that with our Young Farmers and Ranchers program. That's uh, members that are age 18 to 35. They're looking at the opportunities that are out there, the, the technology, the things that they can really grab a hold of and excel going forward. And it's really great to mix with those people and get them visiting with the older folks in the organization. It really raises everybody's mood and and makes everybody more positive. Scott Vanderwall, we want to thank you for taking time to be with us on this edition of Open Mic. 
Sir, it is open mic, and the Vice President of Farm Bureau has the last word today. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to visit. You know, as we look ahead to 2020, we're just finishing a year that was really tough for everybody. It's been rough psychologically, economically on on everybody. But I always like to say everybody gets their turn and, and eventually things turn around again. Things go in cycles. There's a lot of opportunity for farmers out there. We've talked about the, the markets that are available in China, India, Africa, all over the world that we might be able to fill someday. There's uh, optimism with our young folks that are that are out here, and, and we've got a whole new generation of people that are looking at their opportunities that agriculture can afford. And it's not only about the ag business. It's about the fact that rural living is the best place in the world to raise kids and to teach a work ethic and to help those kids have the, the opportunity to, to work not only with the Lord and the environment, but also with animals, and that's very important. Uh, the trade deals that are that are underway with the Trump administration, I think, give us some some real hope for the coming year. They're, they've taken a huge step in the right direction, and the fact that the 96% of the people in the world live outside the, the borders of the United States uh, just emphasizes the fact that we need to continue to look for new markets and new uses for our products outside our borders, and make sure we get those uh, those items sold. Regulatory reform is another huge one. The administration has been very good with that, rolling back the waters of the U.S. rule. Um, certainly, like we said, we need regulations in some areas, but we don't need excessive regulations. And then the ag labor crisis, this is this is really a ball and chain that's been haunting us for years. We need to get that uh, finished up. We need to get some solutions put in place to put a legal, stable access to work supply out there available for American farmers and ranchers. But overall, we're just excited about the start of a new year. Um, it's always uh, great to go to our national convention, and then the fact that this is our, uh, our centennial celebration is just going to be a, a great opportunity, not only to see old friends and to sharpen our, uh, our skills a little bit, but also to make new friends. Our thanks to Scott Vanderwall, Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.